Thank you, Jesse and musicians. You may be seated. Let's pray uh, together. Let's pray. Our Father, you are the life of the world, as we just sang. The author of Hebrews says that if uh, that you you uphold the universe, Christ, you, Christ, the life of the world, upholds the universe by the power of your word, that if everything we see and experience is happening right now because you're speaking it into existence. And so as we come to you this morning, we're not interested in mere insight, knowledge, but we want life. And your word contains it. So we ask that your spirit would give it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So last week we considered the birth of Isaac. We were, we were waiting a long time for this birth of Isaac. Abraham was promised that Isaac, uh, that, I'm sorry, that, that he and Sarah would have a child, uh, offspring that would become a, a, multi, a, a great nation. They would be a blessing to the world. But that promise was a long shot. Abraham and Sarah were unable to have children in their, in their uh, fertile years, much less in these later years of their life, when they're past the years of childbearing. Uh, and yet, God is faithful to his word. And last week, Isaac was born. The, word, the promised word of God became flesh, a little baby. Isaac crying in the arms of his, of his mother, Sarah, right there before him. You remember the, the result? They laugh. They're, they're completely surprised, shocked, joy-filled. The word of God became true. Right? Before they were laughing, and remember why they were laughing? When God said that this would happen, they were like, this is crazy. They were laughing the laugh of like, you're crazy. There's no way. And now they're laughing a laugh that the whole universe will laugh. We said that this was a foreshadow of what all of creation will experience. If creation's experiencing groaning right now in the pains of, of, a, of a fallen world, when Christ sets up his kingdom and all the promises of God are made manifest before, before us, the whole creation will let out a laugh of joy and surprise. It's real. God is faithful to his word and his church, too, will have that same experience. We've cling, we're clinging to these promises. We talk about them. We, we hope in them. And one day, just as Abraham and Sarah were holding that baby, we'll take hold of them and they will be real. It's more real than this moment right now. That's our hope. But now, this week, uh, things have gotten tough. You know, they have this mountaintop experience, and they come down from that, and the going gets tough. It takes uh, no time, and there's difficulty. And you know, that's the case for us. We have these incredible, wondrous experiences uh, where God's presence feels, feels very much alive, very much there. And then we come down into, into, into what is like a valley. A time of difficulty. Maybe it's just low-level anxiety. Maybe it's concern. Maybe it's boredom. Maybe it's just a general feeling of apathy and numbness. Or maybe it's a full-on crisis 
a health crisis, a family crisis, a financial crisis, a work crisis. Like life in, the, in this fallen world is filled with thorns and thistles, and there's difficult time, times that we face. So Abraham and Sarah have just been on this mountaintop at the birth of, of Isaac. The, the word became flesh. It's incredible. And now they come down, and they come down into the valley. There's a Puritan uh, book of prayers that is, I think, great. Um, it's called The Valley of Vision. And the, the prayer from which that book gets its title, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. It says, you, Lord, you have brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths, but see you in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold your glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way up is the way down, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. You wouldn't expect that, would you? If you want to get a good view of the lay of the land, you go to the high spot, the mountaintop, right? Not the valley, but the valley is the place of vision. When we, when we go down into the valley of suffering and difficulty, there's vision there. We can see things that we can't see when, we're, when, when things are great. So Abraham and Sarah, they've they've entered into the valley. The going has gotten tough for them. And it's a question we must all ask is, what do we do when the going gets tough? When we go into the valley, when we have suffering in our lives. And this passage is going to help us understand what we ought to do when suffering comes into our lives, when the going gets tough. So two things we're going to focus on this morning. Uh, When the going gets tough... The faithful get going. So that's the first point. The faithful get going. And then the second point is the needy cry out. When the going gets tough, when suffering comes into our life, when the going gets tough, the faithful get going and the needy cry out. But first, let's see, like, what goes wrong? What's, what exactly is going on here? The going gets tough. Look at verse 8. It says, And the child, Isaac, uh, grew and was weaned. And children at this time and in this place were weaned at the age of two to three years old. So Isaac's about probably about three years old. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. He made it. He, he, there was a wean feast, right? A big celebration. He's finally, Isaac has hit this milestone in his life. Kind of probably the first milestone in his life. And there's a celebration. But not everybody's happy. Look at verse 9. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, Ishmael, whom she had borne to Abraham, Abraham, laughing. Now, Abraham and Sarah last week laughed, but not all laughter is equal. Ishmael's not laughing a laugh of joy and wonder and awe at his younger brother. He's mocking him. That's what he's doing. He's mocking him. And maybe you've been the recipient of, of a mocking laugh. And by the way, Ishmael at this point is a teenager, probably about 16 years old. And who knows what he's, it doesn't say what he's saying or what he's doing, but he's, he's 
He's cynical about this whole thing, about this whole party. And Sarah sees it happen, and she acts. Look at what she says in verse 10. She goes to Abraham and says, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Now, Abraham is right now in a polygamy predicament. You know, a lot of people say, oh, hey, uh, you know, the Bible endorses polygamy. All the, all the people of faith are in these polygamous relationships. It doesn't. Every instance of polygamy creates a host of problems for the people involved. Much of the Bible is describing things. Not everything the Bible says is actually like prescribing things. And that's certainly the case with polygamy because we see it create all of these problems, massive problems, because Abraham now has this tension Within himself. Ishmael is his firstborn son. He's 16. He loves him. He's a teenager. He's been raising him. He's been loving him. He's been reading stories to him. He's been teaching him about life. And Hagar is a wife. Whom he is cared for and provided for. And all of these things. And Sarah says get them out of here. There is going to be a conflict. Here. And, and she's right. The inheritance was to be split between Abraham's children, his sons. Ishmael was to get a portion. Isaac was to get a portion. And Sarah is seeing this conflict, this tension, this strife. Think of all the sibling strifes that we see in the Old Testament. Like where siblings actually kill each other over the strife. Sarah's, it's like she's seeing into the future. This is not going to be good. And so Abraham's feeling all of this tension in his household, this, just the complexity of the situation, and his heart's ripping within him. The road has gotten tough for Abraham, okay? The road's gotten tough for him. And God intervenes. Look at verse 12. God said to Abraham, don't be displeased because of the boy, because of your slave woman, Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. Right? The road has gotten tough, and Sarah was right. God, God is saying, do what Sarah says. Like The last time she sent him out, and it was all driven by jaded cynicism on Sarah's part, a sense of being threatened. And that may be the case here, but there, there's something that Sarah sees that, that God agrees with. And God has Abraham do what Sarah says. And that brings us to our first point. So that's the situation we're dealing with. And the first point is when the going gets tough, which it has, the faithful get going. So let's see what Abraham does. The faithful get going. Verse 14. Abraham rose early in the morning. He took bread. And a skin of water, which would have been about three gallons of water. It's about as much as you could carry. Uh, and he gave it to Hagar. He put it on her shoulder along with the child, and he sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Goodbyes are hard, especially when you're saying goodbye to a wife and to a child, your, your only other child that's spoken of. It's difficult. And notice, you know, the Hebrew is very sparse with words. There's so many times where you're like, 
I wish that, that we'd get more explanation, more detail. And notice how it, it slows down here. Look at all the detail. He, he took, uh, he rose early in the morning, he took the bread, he took a skin of water, he gave it to Hagar, he put it on her shoulder. Like, Abraham is torn. He wants to slow this process. He does not, this is difficult for him. No doubt he's shedding tears as he's saying goodbye to his son and to his wife. But what I want to focus on here is uh, this phrase here, verse 14 again. He rose early in the morning. When the going gets tough, the faithful get going. Abraham rose early. And he took care of business. As difficult as the business was that he had to take care of, God's word had told him to do this thing. And Abraham gets up early and he takes care of what God asked him to do. When the going gets tough, the faithful get going. He went without delay. It was a swift. Abraham has a swift response to God's action, to God's instruction to him. Two weeks ago, Abimelech did the same. Remember God's word came to Abimelech in a dream, in, 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 in overnight in a vision dream and said, return Sarah. She's not, she's this man's wife. And Abimelech, what did he do? He rose early in the morning. He met with his council and they all feared the Lord and they got going. They, they got to action. And here Abraham does the same thing. Now, remember Lot, though, on the other hand? Remember the angel of the Lord the night before? We're going to destroy this place. Sodom. And Lot, the next morning, remember what he does? Sleeps in. Can, you know, the angel's like, up! Get up! We're going to destroy this place. And Lot's like, oh, can I just get another hour? Last night was stressful. The whole town was trying to break down my door. And, you know, it, it just let me, let me just a few more weeks, please. And he lingers. The text, text says he lingered. He's dragging his feet. He's dilly-dallying. That's not the proper response to the word of God. The proper response is, get going. Rise early in the morning. That's what Abraham does. That's what Abimelech does. And this is instructive for us. When God gives us his word, when we receive his word that's contained in this book, we're to act. We're to get going, to move on it without delay. We've seen how faith in, in this Abraham story, we've seen how faith makes us um, j- courageous. Right? Remember Abraham going to rescue Lot, uh, to basically take on the whole world and rescue Lot, and he does. We've seen faith make a person, Abraham, generous. Lot and Abraham have this conflict of land is not enough. And Abraham says, go, take the choice land. Whatever you see, take it. It's yours. I'll go the other way. It's generous. And now we see Abraham. We've seen Abraham be patient, right? Waiting for Isaac. Faith makes us patient. But faith also causes us to get going, to act without delay. Sarah sees a domestic storm on the horizon, right? There's going to be problems here. There's going to be tension the, the, the promises, the inheritance is going to be contested, perhaps violently. We need to do something. And so Abraham receives the word of the Lord and he acts. What about you? 
Maybe there's things in your life. There's clear problems in your in your life. Do you linger to address them like Lot? Do you avoid acting when you know you need to act like Lot? Or are you like Abraham? Do you move? Do you get going? The going has gotten tough in your life. Maybe it's a work relationship that needs tending to. You know it needs tending to. But you wait in hopes that it's going to get better. Maybe if I just leave it alone, the situation will resolve itself. It won't. It never does. If, you gotta, if you're driving your car and it starts making a clicking sound, it's not going to get better. You know this. You can ignore it for you know, a month, two months. It's, it's, a, it's a sign of a problem. In life in a fallen world, there's a thing called entropy. Things tend to unravel over time. If you see a little weed in your garden and you think, oh, I can, I can deal with that later. You know what happens the next time you walk by that garden? There's like four more. And you keep ignoring it. Four, another dozen. This is, this is how life works. And it's, it's true in our relationships. We see a storm brewing on the horizon. We know what we should do, but we don't. We don't act. We don't get going. Maybe it's a family tension. We can see that things are on a bad course. There's, there's problems that need to be dealt with in some way or form. And we know that if we don't deal with it, it's going to cause problems. But we wait. We wait just thinking, maybe, maybe it'll get better. Maybe I won't have to deal with this. Problems rarely get better on their own. And our faith is a call to action. And one of the reasons we, we need to remember that our faith calls us to decisive action is because we got to remember kind of the arena in which our faith happens. Do you remember what Paul said about what we're, what we're living in? It's war. Like we're in a war zone. He says we, we're not fighting flesh and blood, but we're fighting unseen spiritual forces that would love to just slit our throats, destroy us completely. And given that, we've got to walk on our, we've got to be on our toes. We've got to be ready to act, to be decisive, to, to get going when the going gets tough. That's what our call is. You know, John Owen famously said that we, we must be killing sin. If we're not killing sin, it's killing us. And it's true. This is what life in a war zone is like. It requires decisive action. And that is one of the fruits of faith. We respond promptly to God's call. When the going gets tough, the faithful get going. So that's the first point. The second point is the needy cry out. When the going gets tough, the needy cry out. So the situation has been difficult for Abraham. But now in our second part of the story, the second paragraph beginning at verse 15, the situation gets difficult for Hagar and Ishmael. They run out of water in the hot uh, Middle Eastern heat. And they're about to die. I mean, Ishmael is on the brink of death. His, his mom, as difficult as this is to believe, um, he, he's, he's a teenager. His teen child has been, has been so weakened by the heat and lack of water and lack of food that he's about to die. And as hard as it is to believe, Hagar leaves him under a, a bush and says, I can't, I can't watch this. So I'm going to leave and just leaves him for dead. And she's crying out. He's crying out. The going has gotten tough for Hagar and Ishmael. 
And God hears the cry of Ishmael. Look at verse 17. God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. The needy cry out and God delivers. He delivers them and he reiterates his promises to Hagar and Ishmael. That they will be the, the, the mother and, and father of a great nation. That she's the mother of a great nation. That will be uh, through Ishmael. One of the things I want to pose to you is, what do you do when the going gets tough? Do you cry out to God in your need? Or do you try to find a fix, a solution to the problem? Some sort of way of of solving the problem on your own. One of the reasons we don't go to God enough in our need is because we're not dying under a bush. We live under the illusion that that we're kind of all right. Like we've got basically what we need to make it through life. We're not desperate enough. The going has not gotten tough for us, tough enough for us. But in truth, We're desperate. We need God. Like we said just a moment, there's unseen forces that are in our midst that want to destroy us. Like our lives are far more precarious than we realize. Every once in a while, some sort of the going gets tough and you realize, wow, that car barely missed me. God was gracious. My life is more precarious. For the most part. We live our lives under the illusion that we've kind of got mastery and control over all of these things. But we don't. We're, we're oblivious to the fact that we depend on God for every breath that we breathe. And not only are we oblivious to our need for God, but we think God wants us. We think that God actually wants us to come to him in our adequacy, in kind of our strength. But that's not the case. Listen to what Paul Miller says. He says, God wants us to come to him empty handed, weary and heavy laden. Remember Christ's call. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. and I will give you rest. He says, Paul Miller says, instinctively, we want to get rid of our helplessness before we come to God. But it's the other way. We come to him in our in our helplessness. And need. Remember, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. When we saw Jesus walking and we see him presented in the Gospels, when we see Jesus presented in the Gospels, we are seeing God, invisible God, being made manifested before us. And remember who Jesus receives over and over and over again the helpless, the needy. Even small things, right? Mother who needs wine at a party, delivered. Person who needs uh, healing from a demon possession or lameness or uh, leprosy or death. A person with a dead child. All of these people are coming one after another. Are they bringing anything to Jesus? 
No, they're just bringing need. Lepers are coming. Lepers shouldn't even be coming to Jesus. They're, they're bringing disease to him. And he receives them. And by contrast, who does he not receive? I think of the rich young ruler. He runs to Jesus. Lord, I've, I've, you know, my wealth, I mean, it's just, you know, just bling, bling all over. He's got all this wealth, which is because he's a blessed, he's been blessed by God. And he comes up, he's got a spring in his step. What must I do to, to inherit the kingdom of God, keep the law? And, and he says, well, I've been doing this from the very young age. There's never been a moment. I never backslid or anything. I've, I've got it. And Jesus, and, he, and Jesus said, well, go sell everything you have. Give to the poor. He couldn't do that. He couldn't become weak. He couldn't become helpless. And that was his big problem. Christ calls us to come to him in our weakness. And he doesn't just call us to come to him in our weakness. We're called to follow him in our weakness. Listen, remember Colossians 2, chapter, uh, verse 6 says, Just as you received Christ, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ? In your need. So walk in him, in your need, leaning upon him, crying out to him. Do you cry out to God? Do you pray to God in your need? Do you bring those needs, however small? Maybe it's wine at a party. Maybe it's a parking spot at a busy spot. Do you bring that need to God? Do so. Lean into him. Cry out. He, he, here's the cry of, of one who is outside of the fold of faith. Ishmael, how much more will he hear the cries of his children, those who are in the fold, the children of Abraham? Now, as we bring this to a close, it's very tempting for us to think that our position before God depends upon our ability to kind of quickly respond to God's word and cry out when we have time of need. When the going gets tough, if I quickly respond to God's word, and if I cry out with all of the desperation I can muster, then I get the favor of God. Then I'm kind of then the thumbs up from heaven come down upon me. Good job. You got going just like Abraham. Or you cried out just like the needy that come to me. That would be missing, um, missing the point. And in order to see that, I want us to step back from, from, from this passage and remember the story as a whole and kind of step back and see how this story fits into the larger biblical framework do you remember the story that immediately preceded the story of abraham it was the story of babel back in genesis chapter 11 it was a story right before abraham's called babel, the, the, the tower of babel is described and babel is a type it's it's the anti-gospel. If you want to know what Babel is, everything we talk about every week, kind of uh, what, what the kingdom of Christ is like, if you want to know what the opposite is, it's Babel. It's the kingdom of the world, epitomized. It's humanity trying to connect with heaven, trying to connect with God by its own strength, by its own genius, by its own power and its own ability to organize and remember what they were after? The people at Babel, remember what they were after? A name? Let's make a name for ourselves. Pride. They were also after a place. They wanted security. They wanted to fortify themselves. 
the whole world so that they could be protected from all the bad stuff out in the world. They were going to do it through their own might. And then we come, next passage, God calls Abraham. And remember what, what God tells Abraham? I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you a place. The two things the people at Babel were after, a name and a place. But, but here's the difference. The, the difference is enormous. God says, I will do this for you. It's me working in and through you to accomplish my purposes. It's not you coming up to me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that Babel typifies the world's approach to life. He says, God reveals to us another way. For another way now opens, the way of God to man, right? Not Babel to God, God to man. The way of revelation, the way of grace, the way of Christ, the way of justification by faith alone. My ways are not your ways, God says. It is not we who go to God, but God who comes to us. It's not religion that sets us right with God, for God alone can do this. It's his action upon which we must depend. And so, we, we, and so that's kind of broader framework. And then we come to this story that we've just read. Paul in Galatians chapter 4 gives us great insight into this story. And he says, the two moms here, Hagar and Sarah, represent these two ways of getting along in the world. Hagar represents the, the way of human strength, of, of human initiative, right? Abraham, and Sarah, when Sarah, of course, is involved in this, Abraham and, and, and Hagar, through ordinary means, have this child to try to create the people of God. And Ishmael, too. He cries to God. Yes, he cries to God, but he also leans into the bow. Verse 20, we, we didn't read it, but look, look at what verse 20 says in our passage. That Ishmael lived in the wilderness. He was a woodsman, and he became an expert with the bow. He, 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 leaned, he, he was an expert with the bow. He lived by the bow, and he died. He would come to die by the bow. Commenting on this passage, Walter Brueggemann says this, living in the world of skillful, determining, planning, and competence is problematic. That's the world of Babel, right? Skillful, determining, planning, and competence. It's problematic. That's what Ishmael did with the bow. That's what Hagar and, and Abraham did. That's what it represents. But here's the problem with it. This is what Brueggemann says. It crushes the spirit, and it consigns one to live in the world of compulsion, control, and alienation. Such a way tries to live by bread alone. And that's what Hagar, that's exactly what Hagar and Ishmael did. They went off into the woods at the command of Abraham with nothing but bread and water. And eventually they pick up the bow in the process to fight off the enemy, to build their kingdom. Do you live by bread and bow alone? Do you live um, satisfying your physical needs? In living off the fuel of your own physical ability? Many of us here are gifted, we're smart, we're all well-educated. Um, we've got the kinds of things that can get a person far in the world. And it's very tempting for us to lean into those things. But as Brueggemann says, look, it's shaky ground. If you're leaning into that stuff, your, your accomplishment, and your skills, and your education, and your art of persuasion, and all of those things, 
a shaky ground, you're going to find yourself consigned to compulsions and a need for control and feelings of alienation, Brueggemann says. That's our way of getting along in the world. Remember, remember what God says? My ways are not your ways. I've got a different way. And so Paul, back to Galatians chapter 4. Paul says that's the way of Hagar and Ishmael. Achieving, trying to cut corners on God's providence and achieve God's promise through your own means. It's exactly what Babel was. It's exactly what the Hagar experiment was. And it's not good. Paul says if Hagar and Ishmael... Um, If Hagar bore Ishmael naturally and Ishmael leaned into his own strength, the bow, Sarah births Isaac supernaturally by God's power, according to God's promised word. Isaac doesn't have a bow. Maybe he does, but he's not leaning on it. He's leaning into the promises of God. That's how he's getting along in the world. And we, too, are children of the promise We too have been born supernaturally. We have. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. The Spirit of God has come into us and made us born again. And as a result of that, by the way, we're an oddity in the world. We don't fit in the world because we are a new creation. And Paul says, look, the result of that. You can expect the children of flesh, the Ishmaels of the world, to mock and persecute you just as he did Isaac. Because the world doesn't get you. They don't like you. They don't, they, you don't make, make sense to them. So you can expect persecution, children of God. Do you see the wonder of what God is doing? Just like Isaac's arrival was pure gift and miracle, so, is our, so, so, it is, uh, so, is, so are our lives in Christ. It's a miracle. Jesus' death on a cross opens up for us this life that he took our place. And that's the, that's the basis, the foundation for which we, when the going gets tough, we get going and we cry out to God. It's being rooted in that love of Christ given to us. It's not, we're not doing those things to get God's love and approval and kind of the thumbs up from heaven. We do it out of that. And that's really the only basis for doing it. How can you cry out to God with confidence unless you know his love for you in the first place, his care for you? How can you get going with decisive, resolute action unless you know that God's power is working in you? It's essential for moving forward in this life of faith to be rooted in the love of God. Let's pray. Father, we um, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is um, so tightly woven that this story here, we can step back from it and just see how you're weaving these these threads together in this wonderful uh, word of God that speaks so clearly to us. Um, We ask for your help to um, retain, to to have these truths that we've heard. Uh, sink deep into our bones and pores and every uh, pocket of our being so that we might live more faithfully, so that we might act more resolutely, more decisively, so that we might cry out more readily to you in our time of need. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.